Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. It's a great week here on the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio as we continue to celebrate so many amazing people who make this place such a great place to live, work, and play. Listen, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation I had yesterday with former governor of Mississippi, two-time governor Haley Barber as we reflected on lots of stuff. If you missed that conversation, you can go to a Facebook page or YouTube or your favorite podcast. I think you'd be glad you did. It's just uh, it's good to see him feeling good after his wreck back in October of 1920, excuse me, 2022. And uh, he almost died. Um, amazing how... How, how much his rehab had to be engaged to get back to where he is today. But, man, he's rolling again. He came to us from, from Washington, D.C., and uh, he's been a good friend. I've been in touch with him throughout the whole thing, and I, I wondered at one point, as I mentioned during the conversation, if he would actually be back to where he is now. But he is, and he's fought his way back. And uh, he's, you know, he's, he, he said to me, as I say on the show, that when you retire, you die. <laughs> he, he has no uh, goal to, uh, to retire anytime soon. I guess I learned that myself, in fact, along the way. Um, but anyway, it's been a great week. So let's, uh, let's shift gears now. We're going to be talking with Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Speak in the first half of the show. And then Michael Borky from the Sports Talk Mississippi uh, team is going to be joining us to talk about the college coaching carousel and all the stuff that's happening there. But without any further ado, let me welcome my friend Jeff Duncan. How you doing, Jeff? Ricky, doing great. Great to be on again. Yeah, it's good to see you, my friend. A lot to talk about. Saints of been uh, been aggressively looking for an offensive coordinator. We're going to get to that here shortly. But listen, let me congratulate you, man, because we've been talking for almost two years now about this journey you've been on with Steve Gleason to write his book with him. And you finally have turned that book in in its final form. And, uh, and at least in the conversations we had before the show started, you seem to be very pleased with where it landed. Yeah, you know, as you know, we've, we've talked about every step of the way. Um, it's been a journey, and it's been about basically two and a half years uh, in in the works of putting this book together. The obviously the challenges uh, in producing a book with Steve and some of his limitations with his ability to write uh, has been pretty extraordinary experience, and uh, we're really excited about getting this book out to the world. Uh, it's going to be released in late April. And uh, you'll probably start seeing some publicity about it in the next few months uh, as we get closer to the release date. It's exciting. And uh, as you learned, as you know, because you this is not your first rodeo, but you worked with one of the top publishers in the country. They leave nothing to chance. Um, you know, I, I know the writing process was grueling for all the reasons that we've discussed. Cer- certainly, Steve's disability it makes the process slower for sure. But he was, you know, his mind is sharp as a tack, and he was heavily engaged, as you and I talked about. But then you start to get the layers of editors involved, and 
the refining that takes place and the you know the loops that are put into place to assure that this is going to be the kind of book that is a celebration of life as much as it is a story about ALS. And uh, you know it's good to see the smile on your face and to see that you're really really pleased where this book landed. Yeah, you know, I think the thing that makes it so special is Steve and Michelle are so honest. As you know, you know, being in your role in the past in journalism, I mean, you're only as good as your content. And the content of this book, the willingness to share uh, all the the dark moments and the joyous moments along their journey, uh, to peel back the curtain and show what, what this is really like. I mean, they, they were insistent upon, uh, you know, this not being like a Hallmark greeting card, you know, or, or an after school special. I mean, they wanted to show what it has really been like for them on this journey. And I, I think that's what makes this book so incredible. And when you read it, you just see the humanity coming out in both of them. And um, I think it's going to be pretty special. I think people are going to learn a lot about how you deal with adversity in life and how you deal with challenges and, and getting through these dark tunnels to the other side. And uh, certainly the challenges that Steve faces daily in his precarious existence uh, are a lesson for all of us in, in resilience and, uh, you know, how to live with gratitude and acceptance, even despite some of the challenges that are placed in front of you. You know, it's uh, it's an interesting story, and I can't right, wait to read the book, but you think about Steve and why Steve, you know, on that, on that moment in the dome when he blocked that Atlanta uh, punt in 2006 as this dome reopened. We all, we've talked about the the atmosphere in that moment, but as we later came to appreciate about Steve, he was very philosophical. He traveled a lot, a super deep thinker, thinker, super intelligent. And then, of course, once we learned that he had ALS and he continued his travels, and we got to know about his deep friendships with people and how he wanted to make his mark. Um, he has really worked to make, as as Robin Roberts has said so many times before, make his mess his message. But 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 you know, God selected him for a reason. But boy, does he have a message, doesn't he? Yeah, and you know, we're just in the review process going through. I mean, he he touches on his, you know, his faith, you know, his philosophy of life. I mean, there's just so many lessons in this book uh, that I think people are going to find uh, compelling. Uh, obviously, when you go through something like he's going through, we're now 13 years. January 5th was the 13-year anniversary of his diagnosis. Most people that are afflicted with ALS, you know, pass in two or three years. It's, he likes to say he's, uh, he's 10 years past his expiration date is his line. Um, and, and so you obviously go through a lot uh, in, in the challenges of that. And there were some really dark times where he wasn't sure he wanted to continue on with that kind of life. It's so difficult, not just for him, but for everyone in his orbit. And so to find those reserves and to find that, that willingness to carry on, I mean, I've seen, seen his, his will uh, in doing this book. I mean, it's extraordinary. There's nothing like it. Well, you know what? And you said this before, and we'll, we'll make this the final point because we'll be talking lots more about it when it comes out. But it's as much a book about Michelle as it is about Steve. I can't even imagine her deep love for him and her tenacity and perseverance and resilience, how that shined through as well in this book. Yeah, great point. And I think anybody that's a caretaker or anybody that's had someone in their family that's 
you know, been, you know, afflicted with the disease or anything like that in life will uh, appreciate the book from Michelle's point of view, because it's, as you know, when something like this happens, it's not just to the person that's been diagnosed with the disease. It's really, Steve likes to say, we got diagnosed with ALS. And that's exactly right. Everyone in his family is dealing with that. And um, yeah, it's just as much a story about Michelle as it is Steve. Uh, incredible, incredible. And uh, we look forward to talking more about it as the book starts to hit the bookshelves and we can, maybe we'll have Michelle join us one day and we can talk more about all that. Okay. So look, um, the Saints have been doing their thing and looking for an offensive coordinator, you know, new names on the list. Some names have already fallen off the list. Kind of what's your take on where we are? Well, I think they're doing their due diligence, Ricky. Uh, you know, Mickey Loomis said they were going to take their time, and I think that's exactly what they're doing. They want to get the right person for this job. They know it's probably the most important hire Dennis Allen's going to make, and he's got to get it right. And so I think they're looking for the right man. And I've, I've said this before. I don't think it's necessarily uh, important what scheme they get. I know a lot of people are caught up in are they going to get somebody from the Sean McVay uh, you, you know, Kyle Shanahan tree. I don't think that's that important. I mean, I think this final four teams in the NFL playoffs kind of emphasize that, right? You got the Baltimore Ravens, Kansas city chiefs, the 49ers and the Lions. they all run different offenses. Uh, you can win in a lot of different ways in the NFL and that's proven. Uh, so I think the saints need to find the right leader. Basically what they're looking for is a head coach of the offense. And so I think finding someone with some strong leadership skills, maybe some alpha qualities, um, you know, that's not, it doesn't have to be that personality, but I, I think it would work well considering some of the, you know, the challenges they have in, in getting this offense back on track. Uh, I, I, I equated a lot back to when the saints brought in Greg Williams as the defensive coordinator in 2009 Basically, Sean Payton was looking for a head coach of the defense, and that's what he got in Greg Williams. He ran that show. He was in total control of the defense. I think they need someone like that for this offense. Now, who that is, I don't think anybody knows, including the Saints right now. Well, it was interesting. Um, it was inter- it was interesting trying to keep up with. In fact, there's so many names that are swirling across the NFL now. A lot of posi- a lot of full head coaching positions have been filled now, but there's still several open positions. I noticed that. Um, in Atlanta, I, I may, I, the the number twelve comes to mind, but they had and interviewed as many as twelve candidates for a head coach. Um, Dan Pitcher looks sounded like that was somebody we were high on. High on, he gets hired, he falls off our list. It's got to be frustrating though to to go through a process like this when when there's just it, it's like you the dice are rolling. It literally as you're trying to grab the dice, the dice keeps the you know the faces of the dice keep changing. It's a, it's a frustrating process because you get high on somebody, you bring them back for a second interview, things are you know barreling down the road, and then they get plucked, and then you're back to you're back to where you started. Well, we're at the end of this segment, so what we'll do on the other side, we'll pick it up from there and let Jeff give his uh, impression on you know the the musical chairs that's taking place in the NFL as we speak. We'll see you after this break.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Jeff Duncan for NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. And when I went to the break, I just pointed out that, man, there's just like big-time musical chairs happening in the NFL right now. A lot of the names that are on our list are on other teams' lists, too, for either offensive coordinator or head coaching job. One of one of the things that helps me understand that, incidentally, Jeff, is the great job you guys are doing with this tracker that you're doing at NOLA.com. Um, Saints, where you're tracking all of this activity, and it's easy to lose track of it if you, if you don't if you don't pay attention. Because it seems like every day there's a new piece of information out there. But it is a dramatic musical chairs, isn't it? Yeah, you got a lot of head coach openings still in the NFL. I mean, just filled yesterday, of course. Uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers. That's a huge hire by the Chargers. Obviously, he's going to have to fill out his staff in the in the division. You have the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons both looking for head coaches. Uh, so they're going to have to fill out their staff. So there's a little bit of a cat and mouse game going on because if you're a good candidate and you're interviewing for certain jobs, it's no, no different than any other business. There might be a job you have your eye on, but they may not be that far down the road yet. Right. So you actually want to kind of stall a little bit to try and get the job you want and see if you get it, but then you don't want to, you don't want to end up empty. So empty handed, uh, so I think there's just a lot of that going on. That's why I think Mickey Loomis is taking the right approach. I mean, there obviously needs to be a sense of urgency, but you want to get the right person. So I don't think, uh, you know, he's he's too concerned with making a rush hire here. Uh, and look, there's still four teams left playing. They're going to have candidates that, that people want to sit down with, and that can't happen until after, after they're eliminated. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be something that we hear about in any any time soon. I think the, the Saints are going to take their time. This could drag on for at least another week or two. I want to get your opinion about something. Let's take a, a good example might be the Texas quarterback coach, Gerard Johnson, who I think is actually being considered in Atlanta for a head coaching position, if I remember reading his name on that list. But regardless, you know, wonder what someone like him is factoring uh, into these decisions. Let's, let's, for example, we got Harbaugh, as you pointed out, is going to be building his staff out, and at the Chargers, um, he's going to have he's going to have a little bit of a runway in the 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 work that he's going to be doing. When when someone like Gerard analyzes maybe going to somewhere like the Chargers, I, I don't even know if he's being considered. So I'm just is this all hy- hypothetical. But he's considering, you know, the, the runway that's going to exist for Har- Harbaugh and the short runway that may exist here in New Orleans. I wonder to what extent that limits <clears throat> who we're going to get to come here. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, if you're a candidate, you want to go somewhere where you can be successful. That's the first thing I think you look at is what kind of success am I going to have in that in that job? Am I going to be out of a job in a year or two? Or is this something where I can go and maybe be a springboard to something even bigger? So I definitely think that's going to be a big consideration. I mean, a guy like Gerard Johnson, he was just an offensive quality control coach just a couple of years ago. So he's been a shooting star in the league uh, working on that Texan staff under Bobby Slowick, which Bobby Slowick is obviously getting head coach interviews right now. So, uh, you know, and I think – I think you have to uncover every stone. You know, you have to look at every uh, candidate and try to find the best person 
to fit this role. That's why I don't think the scheme's that important as much as it is, you know, getting the right person. Uh, I know everyone's caught up in the scheme, but uh, I, I think you, you get the right person and everything else takes care of itself. You can win a lot of ways in, in this league. Jeff, I wonder if there's a scenario, actually, that involves John Gruden. Right now, you don't hear his name being mentioned really that much and in most circles. And by the way, when his name is raised on Twitter, in fact, it came up recently because his brother had that spat, as you, as you, as you saw on, on X. But so there was, the name Gruden was trending for a bit. But when John Gruden's name was mentioned, Boy, there was some there was some tough things being said to him about about how he would choose a quarterback and you know show you know that one of the things was a was a, a color shading document from from flesh colored to black and where he would how he goes about determining who his who's going to be his quarterback or what I mean it was just terrible stuff said about him. But well, that's the internet. <laughs> you know, that's social media these days. I, it, I try not to put too much stock in that. But but look, John Gruden, if he were to come to the Saints, will not be the offensive coordinator. I mean, that, that's not what we reported. That's not. I think he's even under consideration for that. If he came in, he would be probably like a senior offensive assistant in a role like that. I think the Saints understand that John Gruden is trying to get, become a head coach again. So there would, and that could happen quickly. That could happen in a year or two years. So I don't think they want to tie themselves to an OC that's going to be, they're going to be back looking for another OC in a year or two. So I think he would be more like a extraneous, uh, you know, coach on the staff as opposed to the coordinator. I don't think he's even under consideration for that. Yeah, I actually wondered if, if they could reach a point in this carousel, though, where they end up coming back to the, considering that. But, it, you know, again, it's a long shot. You would even think about that. Um, when you when you look at sort of the late of, of players and uh, uh, you know basically kind of where we are today, um, any news recently that gives you concern or, or or makes you think that that we're moving in the right direction? I know still a lot of conversation about uh, about Lattimore and whether they would trade him or not. You know, what, what you hearing these days? Yeah, look, I, I think all that's on the back burner, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, none of those conversations are even going on on Airline Drive. They're so caught up in trying to fill out the staff. You know, you get the Senior Bowl next week over Mobile. Uh, the staff will be over there. That's really, you know, kind of an off-season launch into the draft preparation. Uh, you know, I always tell people uh, the, the, the Senior Bowl – while it's obviously a college all-star game and there's draft prospects there, I guarantee you if you talk to any of the Saints coaches on the staff, they have no idea who the top prospects are. You know, they, they've been so caught up in game planning and getting ready, for, you know, the, getting the season. Uh, they will start to turn their attention to the draft in the weeks ahead. But really, um, I think right now, the, the coaches that are on the staff that are still there, they're doing – kind of postseason evaluations of what went right, what went wrong, what they want to tweak, how they want to address it internally. And they also, so still some coaches on the offensive staff. Doug Marone's a good example, the offensive line coach, Jari Evans, the assistant offensive line. They have to determine if they're going to be a part of the staff going forward because when a new OC comes in, he may want to bring in his own offensive line coach. So all that's kind of up in the air right now, I think, until they get this hired. And then I also think there's something to be – concerned about if you're a Saints fan and that, um, you know, Jeff Ireland was a top candidate for those, uh, for the uh, general manager job with the Chargers. I think that 
is enhanced by Jim Harbaugh going there. They have a long history together. Uh, and so if the Saints were to lose somebody in the front office, that'll be another big opening that they have to fill. Not good, man. Not good. Speaking of not good, uh, I think you guys did a wonderful job. I say, I say wonderful. It's hard to think of the famous no call, the infamous no call as, as anything that would resemble wonderful. <laughs> but, but your coverage of that was, I mean, you know, here we are five years later, and it's, when you read about it, it's just as painful as when it happened, you know, th- that we came that close. I mean, that call, and it changed lives, didn't it, Jeff? Yeah, and look, it's hard to believe it's been five years, right? It feels like it was yesterday in a lot of ways. And I do think it's interesting, as we pointed out, that no official from that crew has ever called a Saints game again. And that's obviously not by accident. Uh, The league trying to keep, you know, keep that from becoming a distraction. So Bill Vinovich and his crew, uh, they've called a lot of games since then, including this weekend. Bill Vinovich is calling what we saw. He's going to be the Super Bowl uh, official, the referee for the Super Bowl. Uh, but that was an unfortunate situation and uh, changed legacies. I mean, there's no question. I've talked to Sean Payton and Drew Brees about it. I mean, if they were to get in a second Super Bowl, just getting to the Super Bowl, whether they would have won or not, I think they would have. But just getting there is a feather in their cap and their resumes uh, for the Hall of Fame. And I know that's important to both of them. Drew Brees is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer regardless. But I think for Sean Payton, he needs another Super Bowl, at least an appearance. Uh, on his resume to ensure uh, that gold jacket. Yeah, and think of all the other players, though. I mean, what could have meant yeah. to their lives and their livelihoods and their legacies? Um, uh, I think there was 33 players I counted up that, that had never played in the Super Bowl that would have gotten a chance to play. And so that, that's going to be a hole in their in their resumes and in, in their lives. It's that opportunity to be on that stage in the biggest game, fulfill a dream that were dashed because of that. And I went back and watched the game again, and it's kind of hard to believe it happened the way it did. I mean, it was heartbreaking for sure. And you know what? He would have caught the ball. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I've watched the play over and over and over again recently. Of course, obviously, as a result of you guys covering it and helping us focus on it. But it was a beautiful pass. I mean, that pass... It was a tight spiral, headed just exactly where it needed to be, and clearly he would have caught the pass had he not been bumped out of bounds so so violently. Um, just just tough to watch again. But anyway, you know th- this is football. It's just that in that particular case, as you as you so well said, it changed legacy. So yeah, it's funny. It, uh, you know, Sean Payton when I reached out to him, texted him. I said, you want to talk about this because I'm doing this story. And uh, all he just sent me was just a photo of the collision with Tommy Lee Lewis and Nikhil Roby. And um, that's all he sent me. He, it was his only, he didn't have a comment or anything. And then, then like five hours later, he started texting me back a bunch of stuff. But it was all yeah. off the record. But it's yeah. just, it still was too much for him to talk about. It, it still was I too can much only imagine. I can only imagine. Hey, Jeff Duncan, Vernola.com, The Times Picayune. Appreciate you, my friend. All right, Rick. We'll talk next week, bud. When we come back, we'll continue the sports conversation. We'll see you after this. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.